The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Andy Crestedina, author of Content Chemistry and Illustrated Handbook for Content Marketing, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer in 2016. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in modern marketing. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything discussed in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, we're joined by Andy Crestedina, and we're going to talk about his book, Content Chemistry. An Illustrated Handbook for Content Marketing. Andy Crestedina is a co-founder and the strategic director of Orbit Media, an award-winning 38-person web design company in Chicago. Over the past 15 years, Andy has provided web strategy and and advice to more than a 1,000 businesses. As a top-rated speaker at national conferences and as a writer for many of the biggest blogs, Andy has dedicated himself to the teaching of marketing And he's an adjunct professor of digital marketing at Loyola University. Go Ramblers. Mm -hmm. And Andy has written hundreds of articles on content strategy, search engine optimization, social media, and analytics. He's been named by Forbes as a top 10 online marketing expert to watch and named by Entrepreneur Magazine as a top 50 marketing influencer. And he wears red socks every day. (laughs) Andy, Congratulations on Content Chemistry, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you for having me. Honored to be here. Thanks. Now, you are not the first University of Iowa graduate on the Marketing Book Podcast. There's a lot of us out there. Who else you have you had? Nick Westergaard. Oh, I love Nick. Nick's coming to our conference uh, in August. I'm going to his conference in September. Uh-huh. Uh, Social Brand Forum. Uh, big fan of Nick's, and uh, he's still there. He's in Iowa City. That's his hometown. Okay, and he's also a teacher like you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nick's a great so, guy. Yeah, there's something going on in the uh, <laughs> for the uh, Hawkeye grads. Mm-hmm. When is uh, tell me the name of your con- your conference in uh, it's August. Yep, August fourth. It's called Content Jam. It's a content marketing conference, not unlike a lot of them. Uh, it's sort of like a distant cousin to content marketing world, but it's fun. It's a hybrid between a single track conference where everyone's together in the same room for the big keynotes, and then it breaks out into a couple of different sessions. It's just a one-day thing, but a couple of sessions that are multi-track. But uh, yeah, it's our fourth year doing it. Uh, We've got Andrew Davis and Robert Rose and Nick Westergaard and uh, Ardeth Albee and lots of our favorites out there uh, who are coming to speak, and I'm very excited. Oh, wow. I'm so excited because everyone you just mentioned I've had the honor of having on this podcast. Yeah, I know that. You have made your rounds. You've got them all. I, I knew that you've got, so, uh, yeah, you know everyone probably speaking. Well, sure. I've, had the, I've, I've been able to uh, read their books and, and have them on the show, and it's just, I, I love it. I love it. Now, I noticed on your book that uh, two of the endorsements on the back are also people who've been on the show. Jenny Dietrich, who is your uh, Chicago hometown mm-hmm. girl, author mm-hmm. of Spin Sucks, which is, I think if you're in the PR 
business or have anything to do with PR, you've got to read that book. I think that's one of the best books on modern PR, uh, probably along with David Merriman Scott's mm-hmm. new, new Rules of Marketing and PR, who you mentioned in your book. And then also friends from down under, Adam Franklin and Toby Jenkins, authors of Web Marketing That Works. One of the things I loved about their book, uh, there, it was it was very well done. And one of the concepts from their book that I just loved and I talk about all the time is how, sure, their book is about web marketing. But one of the points that they make is that, you know, maybe with the exception of e-commerce, a lot of this online marketing is so that you can get to the offline part faster and, and more efficiently and with greater meaning. And you know how a lot of the people that talk about online marketing, they're talking about how, well, it's... You know, it's 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 all in begins and ends there. And these these uh, Adam and Toby talked about how you know that's it's part of a greater journey that you're taking. And they go into how to use your online to have offline events more effectively and how to connect with people. So I thought that was a that was a helpful part uh, of their book. Mm-hmm. That's a really important observation because what's the point anyway? Why are we starting all these conversations online? What is the ultimate value? Uh, if we are in, if we're any kind of service provider, I mean, unless we have a software as a service and we're just signing people up and we can kind of keep them all at arm's length distance and uh, they're self-serving once they sign, once they're customers, uh, for the rest of us, for most of us, it's about filling a sales pipeline. And to do that, we should be using social media for networking and taking things offline, picking up the phone. We should be using marketing to fill seats at events and getting in front of our audience face to face. So I think that's a really undervalued point you just made. Uh, I know that Adam and Toby are are big proponents and do a lot of events themselves, but uh, I'm a huge fan of the offline aspect. And uh, that's really my ultimate goal, as it is with most marketers that do this. (laughs) Yeah, and sometimes uh, people, it's like... uh you know, they think, okay, well, that's the finish line. No, really, it's <laughs> it's really the starting, it's starting line. line. Exactly, <laughs> for, for so much of what us, uh, uh, so much of what marketers are trying to do. Now, Andy, you have generously offered a book mm-hmm. for the copy of your book for the listener, and uh, you are going to provide a print copy. And I just want the listeners to understand what a big deal this is because I I happened to go on Amazon today and I saw that there's a Kindle version. But then print copies today are going for $250 to $350. Did you know that? Yeah. They're, when they sell out, I don't know who these people are, but when they sell out, the used booksellers, maybe they have like a robot that alerts them that something's out of stock. Uh, now, there are two versions of this on Amazon and online in general. And you can find the older version and, and uh, in some places. Someone told me, sent me a screenshot of like the UK version of Amazon with someone was selling it for 1,000 pounds, which would be like... <laughs> I don't know, more than $1,000, right? Like 1500 bucks. It's too bad Andy Cressidina doesn't get any of that action. No, none of it. But it's an interesting little marketing case study in neuroscience, right? Because scarcity and loss aversion are so powerful that if you tell someone that something's rare or scarce, they're more likely to want it. Uh, on the other hand, on Amazon, if you make sure that you look around because uh, the more recent edition should still be in stock on Amazon. It might still be there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, the print edition, it, it's great because it, it, you know, it's a little bit like uh, the textbook. But uh, to win uh, a copy of the book, uh, the listener just has to go to marketingbookpodcast.com and click on the contact podcast button and leave a message and tell me which iTunes review of yours, of the Marketing Book Podcast, is yours. And uh, Mr. Crescidina will send you a copy. Mm-hmm. So, Andy, you were a uh, 
Asian language and literature major, I think, in college. <laughs> is that right? That's true. It's uh, random enough. But, yeah. uh, and this is, I mean, we're talking about like early 90s. But, uh, but yeah, I didn't know what I wanted to study. A friend of mine talked me into Mandarin Chinese. Uh, I wanted to learn a hard skill, like a specific, almost technical skill, like you could prove that you knew it kind of thing. And uh, so, yes, yeah, so I ended up with a with a, a degree in Chinese and went and lived in China and came back. And now I almost never speak any Chinese, but um, oh, wow. that is the background. <laughs> well, you should speak to yet another guest, Neil Schaefer. Mm. Mm. He speaks uh, Chinese. I knew that. I should I should start sending him like you know <laughs> tweets using Chinese characters. Right. <laughs> There's speaks, a couple of us. He speaks Japanese fluently, and he speaks uh, Chinese apparently with with great. Uh, Great fluency, but not as much as the Japanese. So I was an English major in college, and uh, yet I had to take a year of chemistry mm. <laughs> and calculus. And I just I just knew that as I struggled through that year of chemistry, that one day all that chemistry <laughs> would pay off for me. Mm-hmm. And here I am reading content chemistry. It all kind of came together for me. But I must say that uh, there were no chemical equations that had to be balanced uh, in your book. and. I loved the book. I especially love the introduction to the book. It's one of the best, uh, most concise explanations of where marketing has been and, and, and where it is now. And I was wondering if you could take the listener through uh, what are a couple different categories that you outline, what marketing was like from like 1950 to the present in terms of some of the categories like traditional marketing and then traditional plus the web and then web-centric and modern marketing. It really framed it nicely. Yeah, so the idea is that in the beginning, you know, marketing, well, actually content marketing is quite old, but for the most part, marketing for a long, long time was really about pushing the message out. It was about advertising. It was about buying attention and uh, placing, you know, the right message in front of the right audience through an ad spend. And in that case, you know, there was like the, the brand was kind of in the middle and the brand pushed the message out to TV, radio, print, and direct mail and cold calls and outdoor billboards and all those different channels. Now, the web comes along and, you know, to, you know, mid nineties or mm-hmm. early, early, you know, just before 2000 here, it starts to get really big and people are buying advertising on the web. People thought, oh, there's another channel. Great. We're an integrated marketing firm. We're going to do this for our clients. We're going to buy ads online as well. And the banner ad is born. And the banner ad immediately begins to die <laughs> because it, because it was marketers just, ruin everything. It was just a terrible idea to begin with, really, right? So that's not why people go to the internet. In fact, advertising is not why people turn on the TV or open their mailbox or turn on the radio. Uh, so what begins to evolve and emerge and begins to win is this new approach where. It's not really the brand in the middle anymore. It's more just like this website, the online presence is in the center. And sure, you may be pushing out messages across different ad platforms. Uh, almost every ad is going to have a web address in it. They are trying to draw you into the site because there it's more measurable. Uh, there's a chance for dialogue. You know, it's kind of the becomes the middle of the marketing. But inbound emerges or content marketing emerges, which is the art and science of attracting that audience by giving them helpful advice, sometimes being entertaining as well as informative, uh, answering their top questions, having conversations with them uh, through social. So it really becomes this kind of the, the, the center of each brand's universe where their website, blog, email list, social streams 
are where they are putting out their their best their best stuff. They're making they're they're telling their stories. They are amplifying the voice of their audience. They are publishing how-to content, videos, you know, articles, guides, everything that we can do. And that ends up pulling people, not just pushing out through those traditional channels, but pulling people through these primary channels of content, which is search, social, and email. So the website becomes the place where all good things happen, where all things are possible, where everything's measurable, and where we can, where content lives forever, right? It's durable. Advertising is temporary, but content is forever. So that that's where now we, we have, and businesses like ours, we've never spent anything on advertising. Five million in revenue, no zero dollars ever spent on an ad. Instead, we attract that audience to us through search, through social, and through email. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And being on podcasts. And being on podcasts, which is fun too, right? It, well, this is another format, and it's a great format, right? The audio format. So, and events are another format, right? Like you mentioned, like Adam and Toby lo- uh, love. So, yeah, these are, to me, it's all just alternate ways to get that message out there and to be helpful beyond the service you offer, to be helpful to a much bigger audience through your advice, and to fulfill your mission as a business, but not just to those people that pay you, to do it by reaching a much broader audience, knowing that in the end, it it pays great dividends um, over time. Yeah, sometimes the visuals that come to mind for me are that of a megaphone and a magnet, and it's almost like we've the 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 megaphone is just getting dustier and dustier. It's getting more. It's it's mm. no longer the center of our world, and yet you can put out all these different types of of magnets to pull people toward you. Or as Barry Feldman will say, uh, mice are not attracted to mouse traps. What are they attracted to, Andy? Cheese. <laughs> That's right. You got to have some good cheese. And boy, you know what? It works. I'm telling you, I buy things that way. I've been pulled into becoming a customer and my wife has as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I see that every month on the credit card statement. Mm -hmm. So Andy, content marketing, what have you found in your experience to be the some of the biggest challenges for companies toward adopting content marketing? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it's such a, a hot job title, content strategist, and because it's so important and so badly needed. It's not something you need every day, but there really is a strategy piece missing for a lot of companies. And it, I'll just throw out some, some very basic things that we should all have in place. Our content marketing mission statement, where we say who we write for and what we write and, and uh, what the benefit is to this audience. Uh, the, t- the topics and subtopics we cover the key phrases we target, the formats we publish in, be it podcast, blog posts, infographics, live events, or books. Uh, and then finally, you get down to where you are uh, narrowing it in with the publishing calendar. But you can teach people those things, and they can go do content marketing and get, get started. But then one thing I'm starting to emphasize more is when you look at these people's stuff, they're missing out on some of the basics in terms of formatting and writing for web. People really just need to make sure they align their content to just to be with how people use screens. You know, like don't write super long paragraphs. Break up your content with bullet points and subheaders and internal links. Use multiple images. Experiment with other formats like podcasts or or live events. I worry about the people who seem to understand the strategy, but then when they get to execution, they put out things that just don't at all work well with how people want to visit and scan and review websites. So 
Hmm. I think there's like a, just a basic formatting piece that's kind of missing from what a lot of people are doing. It's almost like fumbling <laughs> on the one yard line. Yeah, you just you, you put so much into it, but then you wrote, you know, an eleven line paragraph. Just break that up into four paragraphs and get each one of you know, give them, put in some you know, bold some text, add an internal link, put in a subheader, and now uh, their visitors will stick around. They're going to scan it. They're going to make it through. Yeah, you know, sometimes when I'm explaining this concept to maybe a prospective customer or or, or I get to give a talk. Um, sometimes I think, and I've said this before in the show, so bear with me, listener, but, uh, you know, it's almost like, uh, 500 years ago, Copernicus trying to explain that the earth, uh, actually rotates around the sun instead of the sun around the earth. <laughs> and they're just mm-hmm. looking at you like, what? No, come on. <laughs> this can't be. I mean, do you, do you run into that? And, and what do you, why do you think people are, what are some of those objections that you're running into? Yeah, this is the great question, and this is what I hope will be uh, one of the great answers. It is marketing and content in general. This is a test of empathy, and all we have to do is to to think about our audience as if they're ourselves. Right, write something that you would want to read. You know, publish that answer in the format that would be consumable for you. Just go look at your browsing history. Why did you visit all those websites? It wasn't to get pitched to, it was to get help, right? Just look at your inbox. Look at these subject lines. You know, look at that social stream. What's going to slow you down? What's going to make you interested? What's going to maybe make you click? So it has a lot to do with just understanding the point of view of your audience and just trimming out needless words, mm-hmm. getting to getting to the point faster. Mm, I've never, I don't think I've heard that described that way, a test of empathy. That's great. And I'm stealing it. <laughs> Steal it. Here's the next level with it. And and when marketers get to, you know, beyond the basics, they start to pay attention to analytics. And then you get to what uh, I like to call, and some friends of mine have stolen this, you're welcome to it. Data-driven empathy is what great marketing is all about. Now you know that this is what my audience cares about. These are the topics that are working. This is the format that works. These are the, this is how I need to do social content. This is how, this, these are my standards for publishing online. Now I know that because I can look and see in my analytics that this is what works. Yes, yes. And uh, Marcus Sheridan, the sales line, great content marketer, he's always talking about how the pricing pages always have some of the most traffic, you know, like for his pool company. Mm-hmm. You know, And he's just saying, well, they want that information. Not many are providing it. Why, why can't I answer their questions? And it works. It works so well. He answers the tough questions, which is what set him apart. You know, no one wants to talk about that. And people say, and so every time that you have an emotion that's like, oh, I don't want to share that because my competitors look at my ideas, or I don't want to share that because I'll, I don't want to talk about that until sales, that's just going to hurt your marketing. Every one of those inhibitions is bad for your marketing. The more you can cross them out and move past that line like Marcus did, the more attention you'll win. Yeah, yeah. And sprint to the finish even faster and build credibility and trust. So let's get into a couple of things that really jumped out at me at the book. Uh, you mentioned that. Every time you see or hear the phrase search engine optimization, that you should substitute the words indicating relevance, mm-hmm. and you'll have the right mindset for good SEO work. Please explain. People, this is another empathy challenge. You know, People think that search engine optimization is about tricking a robot <laughs> into thinking that you're that you uh, should rank high. Which worked for a long time. <laughs> you kind of did, and I'm sad to say it did. And I'm sad to say I did SEO back in, you know, 16 years ago. What is much more important now is to make sure that you just look at the page and ask yourself, 
did you make the best page on the internet for that topic? That's that's the ultimate question, right? Mm-hmm. And if you did, you know, yes, this is the best page I can make about pool pricing. I can't make a better page on pool pricing than this. Okay, great. Now, did we indicate the relevance? You know, did Marcus ranked because he answered because he indicated relevance by using the proper phrases in the proper places in ways that just conform with Google's own recommendations. That's Google's webmaster blog, right? This is just title tag, body text, put it in the headers. Just indicate that you made the best page on the internet for that topic and everything will follow in place naturally. Mm. It's funny how, uh, you know, Google will tell you how to do this well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And people think it's still some black magic that you can't just find out. I mean, they, they want you to do well. They're trying to help you. They've really put out a lot of good information. You know, oh. most people just haven't read it yet, but it's not stop being tricky about it. Start being transparent about it. Put your readers first. Understand what they're looking for. Use research to find what they're looking to figure out what they're looking for. Uh, here's a fun tool. This is a new one for a lot of people. Douglas, you might like this. Answerthepublic.com. If you put in a key phrase, it's gonna give you all the question related phrases that come up that people are looking for. So in-ground pools, you know, everything they ask. Mm-hmm. How to install an in, you know, a pool. I'll, every every phrase. Answer those questions on your website. And uh, you've got, uh, you know, every page can rank, can rank for a different phrase. You know, you might get a lot more traffic just by being a great answer for those very popular questions in your category. Yes, I discovered this not too long ago. It's got this guy with a, a beard and glasses mm-hmm. uh, animated behind. It's it's great. I, <laughs> that's a great one. That really is good. I'm going to be incorporating that into some uh, plans that we do. So can you explain the two types of visitors who come from search engines and sure. how that affects your content? Sure. So uh, you talked about it as the bullhorn and the magnet. Um Jay Bear calls it the 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 hype and the help. <laughs> uh, there are there are basically two kinds of pages, and there's two kinds of phrases, and there's two kinds of visitors who take two kinds of actions. So if you start at the key phrase level, you could think of it this way. I I simplify into just these terms. Every key phrase that you search for, and you could see it yourself. Go look at your browsing history. Is either a dollar sign. I know what I want to buy. I'm ready to spend money. Or a question mark. I'm not sure yet. I want to research. I may be searching like Marcus style, like looking for pricing info. So the pages that rank for the dollar sign related phrases and those super qualified visitors who might take an action and become a lead immediately, you know, right then, those are the service pages. Those are the product pages. Those are the sales pages. Now, the other type of page, the other type of key phrase, the other type of visitor, these are the question mark phrases. That's the blog content the content marketing content. That's the helpful, useful research stuff. So if you want to get the dollar sign type visitors, you really, for most industries, you know, it's a very crowded industry. You have to, you know, be very helpful, publish a lot of stuff to attract the authority to win for that money phrase. You have to publish a lot of the stuff on the question mark stuff related phrases. You know, you have to build a mini version of Wikipedia for your industry and attract search links, social follows, email subscribes to indicate that we are truly a great source on this general topic. Now I'm going to be able to be able to rank for the dollar sign phrases. So two kinds of visitors, uh, the targeted visitor and the research related visitor, two kinds of phrases, the dollar sign phrases and the question mark research phrases, two kinds of pages, your sales pages, which are the hype sell, (laughs) sell hard, 
put evidence, put testimonials, put calls to action, and your blog content or content marketing content, that's more like helpful stuff. If a visitor converts there, they're probably going to convert into a subscriber. Right. So just to go back to the the pool metaphor that I've, <laughs> I'm afraid I've, mm-hmm. I've sent us down that, that right. rabbit hole, but it's a good one. So the dollar signs would be how much does it cost to install a fiberglass pool, something like that. The question mark would be, what's the difference between a fiberglass pool and a concrete pool? Mm-hmm. Something yep. where they don't even know, you know, they don't even know if they want a pool or not. Exactly. Because you can just imagine if, you know, the funnel is an overused metaphor, but it's so convenient. Where are these people in their decision-making process? One person isn't ready yet. They don't know what they want. And Marcus only sold, I think, fiberglass pools, right? He right. was not a, yeah. So he wants to disqualify that visitor. He also wants to get, but to attract them first, to help them. Maybe he can sway them. Maybe he can just, maybe they'll subscribe. Maybe they'll follow. Maybe they'll link to him. Maybe they're a blogger on this, you know, backyard topic. And he needs to attract tons and tons of those if he wants to win for the people farther down the funnel, because those are the people who are uh, very likely to act. It's a much more targeted visitor. The content marketer knows how to measure indirect benefits. We are experts at understanding how all these other little things that happen can actually help us in durable ways in the long run. So we're not just looking to talk to our specific potential buyer. Content marketers are trying to be much more helpful to a much broader audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mentioned testimonials. Why do you recommend against making testimonial pages? <laughs> this is a top button topic for me, Douglas. You, you, you know I have strong feelings about this. It's, it's because of analytics. I mentioned data-driven empathy. If you have a testimonials page and you look at your analytics, I'm going to predict for you right now that that's not one of your top pages. Unless you have a very flat site with few pages, that's probably not one of your top pages because visitors don't go to websites to read testimonials. They don't. They go there to get their questions answered. They want information. They want to make a decision. And testimonials just smell like marketing. So it's a it's very powerful content. I love testimonials, but they're very weak when you put them all in one place. It's a much better idea to blow up your testimonials page and put those throughout the site. And put that testimonial on a page where it's right next to a marketing claim and put it on a page that's relevant, that, where it adds to the relevance. Maybe it includes a key phrase. You know, Maybe it, answer, it helps answer a question about concrete versus fiberglass. So you want to make sure that the site is filled. Every page should have a testimonial, but no page should be filled with only testimonials. I think we should put them everywhere uh, and make sure that uh, make every page on your site a testimonials page. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about headlines and why they are so important. Um, Andy, in the book, you state the following. The average internet user sees 1,300 headlines per day and dismisses 99.7% of them. And then there's an asterisk that says (laughs) that was totally fabricated, but it was a great headline. (laughs) (laughs) I I wish I knew the number. (laughs) Well, but uh, talk about the importance of uh, of headlines and why if 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 you break down there, it's going to be a problem going forward. Yeah. The word headline is a little bit misleading on, in digital because there's so many things that are headlines. A subject line is a headline. There's a H1 tag at the top of a blog post is a headline. A title tag is a headline. A, a social media post is a headline. An email subject line is a headline. And they can be adapted for each purpose. But basically, as Barry says, Barry Feldman says, uh, we live in an era that's a war for attention. 
And we need to really do everything we can to add stopping power here. If the headline is not specific enough, if it doesn't in- indicate benefits, uh, if it's if it's uh, vague or poorly written or uh, doesn't trigger curiosity, if it doesn't do something to stop this reader, then it just gets scanned past in this endless stream of headlines wherever it appeared. So it could be a, a headline, it could be a tweet, it could be these other sort of things, but it's um, I think you talk about spending much more time on headlines than than people think you should. Yeah, right, right. 20 headlines for every article and go through them. That's what the top blogs do, right? That's what uh, a lot of people quote BuzzFeed as being really good at having these kind of um, uh, catchy headlines and triggering curiosity. And they're masters of this and they work hard at it. They have teams that just write headlines. For most marketers, we're trying to help people make a good decision. So we want to be helpful and informative and educational. In that case, I think of headlines as having um, I'm thinking about the visitor again. Empathy. Thinking about the visitor in terms of ROI. So their return would be the whatever benefit I'm giving them. Their investment in the ROI equation is their attention for 10 seconds. So you, even if it's just 10 seconds of their time, time is precious, and we're there's so much information in front of their eyes. So you need to maybe just be a little more explicit than you'd think about the specific benefit that they would get by spending a few seconds of their time and clicking with their index finger. Like that's, it's really about mm-hmm. a strong benefit is, is uh, absolutely key. And speaking of time, can you explain why numbers are so powerful in headlines? Well, I don't have the study that, that uh, goes back to the real, the root cause, but there is lots of research. Ever, a lot of people have it on their own analytics that it's those numbers that get the higher click through rates. Uh, two possible reasons. One is uh, numerals stand out against letters in a row of text. So you have a little bit more visibility as someone's looking through you know, many possible headlines or tweets or email subject lines. So it's going to be a slightly more prominent. Secondly, it's going to probably, I mean, you could say top tips for 2016, uh, but more likely your number is indicating the, the structure of the post. Or the article, so 10 things or 22 things, it just makes it look um, like it's scannable if it indicates the list post. Mm-hmm. And that they might be able to, in their mind, manage the amount of time. Like they say nine ways, mm-hmm. well, that, that looks like that might not take forever for me to read, and I might be able to extract a lot of uh, value from it in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's not prose. It's going to be scannable, and I'm busy, so... You're communicating that quickly, right? That's what that's what they say. Yeah, uh, and they also are sometimes evidence, right? It's like how I got a twenty six percent increase in conversions with this small change. You know, that number is a number. I mean, that that uh, that statistic there, that data point, is also a number, and that is a way to indicate specificity. Mm-hmm. So um, that's another way to slow down a reader and get them to click and have them. So yeah, numbers work really well. We should be testing it, if not fully adopting it. Also, odd numbers for some reason. Odd numbers seem to work well. Um, uh, I don't have a great explanation for that, but a lot of people have found it to be true. It seems more specific. Yeah, yeah. There's probably three or five reasons why odd numbers are better. I see what you're doing there, Andy. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Now, Andy, as I mentioned with uh, Andy and Toby's book, Web Marketing That Works, one of the great takeaways from that was this concept of online leads to offline. Mm -hmm. My favorite concept from your book 
was about the content hubs. Mm. And I'm hoping that you could explain this concept of content hubs and, and include the visual uh, of the of the of the mountain, if you could. I, this mm-hmm. is I'm 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 sincerely going to be using this <laughs> in presentations because it it's almost like you know I've tried to explain things many many times, and I realized that this was a missing piece that I'm going to be able to use to help people understand this one aspect of content marketing more effectively. Sure, sure. So it goes like this: what a lot of people do in their marketing is. Uh, they create a piece of content and they publish and then it's their next deadline comes up and they think about what else should I write about and they make another piece of content and they end up just publishing on many different topics and they don't really connect that well. And they might say, oh, we've already written about that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've written about that already. I've already talked about you know how to write a tweet or why numbers work in headlines and like I'm done with that. I'm moving on. What a pro marketer can uh, will more likely do is to stay focused on one topic longer to build up a bigger structure, right? The metaphor is like, um, you know, Hawaii is visible because there's, you know, a, thousands of tons of rock and volcanic rock below it, you know? So we have to build, if you want to be visible, you have to keep building up a structure of interconnected things, all interrelated, not just a lot of little hills. We want to build a mountain. So to do that, we, you know, you, you publish not the same exact topic every time, but we're doing, you know, concrete versus fiberglass pools, uh, pricing, concrete versus fiberglass pools, maintenance, uh, the pros and cons of, of, uh, of, of fiberglass pools. And one of them is uh, comparing it to concrete. So whatever the case, we want to build up a body of work that covers the interrelated, it's a structured uh, body of work, interrelated topics and subtopics. We're going to write things on uh, related key, there's five things, topics, keywords, collaborators, right? I'm not going to write them all myself. I'm going to get other people involved, uh, different formats. This is not just going to be one blog post after the other. I'm considering other, to- other formats. Mm-hmm. We mentioned several and locations. So these are not all on my website. These could be, pub- some of these can and should be on other websites. So here's a quick example, like the, um, uh, I call it the evil twin. If I write an article of like, you know, the five five best practices for installing a fiberglass pool, uh, I could easily turn around and write the five mi- the evil twin would be the five mistakes you don't want to make when installing a fiberglass pool, and that might be a perfect post for another blog. Right? I write the same article from a different angle and publish that somewhere else. That audience has not seen my article anyway. So a content hub is. You win by being more structured and more persistent than your competitors and spreading out your content across topics, keywords, formats, contributors, and locations. Mm-hmm. And you say that if a content hub were drawn in 3D, it would look like a mountain mm-hmm. uh, with a central peak surrounded by a wide base of subtopics. And then you show a different 3D map which is sort of scattered, unrelated content, just a kind of a, a rolling hills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, this just the people just it, it shouldn't just be opinion based. If you're a pro, if you've done strategy, if you've planned it out, uh, you know that you're not done with that topic by just throwing out another blog post there. Mm-hmm. You're done with that topic when you've published uh, enough things to reach a critical mass of visibility, uh, and all of these different things are interrelated giving you a search, a social, and an email benefit. 
The other thing that came to mind, I, I was in the army at one point, mm-hmm. it, take the high ground. <laughs> that was mm-hmm. one of the things that was pounded into my head. You know, there's, there's, there are great uh, benefits of, of, of having the high ground and being above uh, your competitors. So it, it really worked on, on several ways. Uh, can you explain what you mean when you say that you equate guest blogging with modern day PR? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we mentioned Ginny, a mutual friend. I'm, I'm a huge fan. Uh, she's also another uh, content hubs proponent. Um, but the I've always done uh, I've always pitched other sites. Uh, I've always known that my blog was not the most was not the best place for every topic. Uh, I've always have found great networking benefits, offline networking benefits to meeting and connecting with editors and pitching content. And it wasn't until later that I realized that what that that is really closely aligned with how modern day PR works. Uh, that networking and understanding empathy understanding what these people are 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 interested in and what they want to write about and they you know I was doing a lot of guest blogging for um for SEO benefits and for uh audience growth and awareness and and thought leadership and then realized later that what's the difference that's digital pr that's exactly how it all works like that's like someone told me like oh yeah you're great at pr like, i'm not even sure what pr stands for <laughs> and then realized oh it is that is kind of how it all works mm-hmm. and i think you know there was more benefit in the past for these these kinds of links and those seem to have been uh, diminished in importance to google but there mm-hmm. my sense is that some folks are saying oh then we shouldn't be doing that and i'm thinking no 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 you're uh. <laughs> there's still tremendous benefit uh, even if it's not this uh, link building strategy, mm-hmm. yeah, I think there probably is still SEO benefit, like link building benefit, if that's all you're going for. But that is not what it's it should be about. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, the the most you know my my friendship with Ginny, you know the uh, the conferences I've I've been to and had a chance to speak at, like it's really uh, a gift that we should all be giving to other websites whenever possible and to their readers. You know, you don't just do it with a if you're only thinking about the link, you are missing out on so many of the reasons why uh, this would be uh, a useful thing to do. It starts and ends with the reader, right? That is, that is the whole point of every word we put down. It's uh, it's all about them, and are we being helpful to someone? Uh, I, it's really one of the most fun tactics I've ever used, and uh, I still believe very strongly in a collaborative approach to content. Uh, guest blogging is just one of the tactics. Mm, yeah, and it, it keeps going back to the empathy. Uh, can you explain the dear mom tip when creating content? Oh, this, you know, it's a there's a writer's block or an obstacle that people have when they start by, a lot of people sit down and they want to create something and they start writing and they just get that speech impediment that maybe we learned in college. Uh, as an English major, I'm sure you knew tons of people <laughs> that just couldn't couldn't write a sentence. Yeah, I'm asking could, for a friend. Right, right. <laughs> well, just imagine, right? So many people, they just can't, they can't let go of that. Uh, I knew a girl, like, this is, I don't know why I thought of this. I knew a, a woman in college, and uh, she would always use that grad student style speech where she just replaced every word with a more complicated word. And I said, oh, but you know, the way you wrote that, it's just so wordy. And she said, you mean verbose? I thought, oh, <laughs> classic, right? It's Not like, a- that's exactly what I meant. <laughs> yes, that's what I meant. So, if you want to write like you talk, if you want to to communicate in ways that are approachable for anybody and that will work and people feel like you're 
talking right to them, then if you can just start with that writing exercise where you just write, dear mom, and then start writing as if you're talking to your mom. Yes. Well, Andy, there's just one last thing I want to mention from the book here. Uh, and I'm, 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 I'm doing this for uh, uh, selfish reasons to help you and me. Uh, you were talking about how to reach out to people. And it says, uh, authors and podcasters all prize one thing above all others, reviews. Mm. <laughs> they are hard to win and worth a lot. This is why virtually every podcast ends with a friendly call to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. If you're networking with an author or podcast, score huge points with these two actions. So listeners, please make sure to read his book, Andy's book, and leave a review. And uh, I'd appreciate one too. I oh, never asked sure. for these, but since you wrote it in the book. Oh, I'll ask for I- <laughs> you. Yeah. So, so this is a tip for all of your readers whom have a huge respect for you after you've put out so much great stuff. If you want to get on Douglas's good side, if you want to kick in some real reciprocity and have uh, the Marketing Book Podcast creator just be forever grateful to you, seriously, not kidding. Not, this, is a, this is an absolute call to action and an endorsement. Go over to iTunes and just say what you would tell your mom about this podcast. Type it in there and click submit. Then let him know, you know, you want to make, you know, you're doing influencer marketing here with a real influencer. So let Douglas know that you just did that by, with a public tweet, right? Let him bring it to his attention or else you don't get that influencer marketing benefit and the networking benefit. So uh, he'd be very grateful. Uh, I, I And uh, uh, if you do that, mention me as well, I'll be happy to follow suit. Let's all go write a quick review for uh, the Marketing Book Podcast. Love is not too strong a word to describe how I'm feeling about you now, Andy. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I, uh, <laughs> Happy to help. Why not? Yes. But since it was in your book, I had to drag it out after all these episodes. Um, Andy, if uh, readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Well, we've pounded on this theme of empathy. And uh, I think that we should be doing marketing to people as if it's being done to us or with people as it's being done with us. Uh, I think we should just all kind of apply the golden rule. We should all be very sensitive to these audiences and their how busy they are and how how much they need our help. Uh, share as much as you can. Comment, give, review, uh, collaborate with people as much as you can. Treat others as if you treat yourself in your marketing, and I think that's going to uh, position you well, even in a very crowded market uh, over the many years to come. Very well said. What books have inspired your work and career, Andy? Oh, I've got two book recommendations that I've been giving a lot lately that are not what you might expect. Um, One of them is uh, called Indispensable by Monday. It's by Larry Myler. It's a business book, and it's just great advice for anyone who wants to add more value in whatever work they're doing. Uh, It's just like a step-by-step on how to uh, just boost the ROI of everyone that you work with and how to them claim credit for it, uh, which is important too. Kind of a personal uh, career building book. The other one, Stoney DeGuyter wrote a book called The Best Damn Marketing Checklist, period. And it's just a beautiful, it's a list-based book and it's got tons of great stuff in it. Oh, great. Well, we'll make sure to put uh, links to both of those at the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or looking forward to reading? Oh, you guys are always a step ahead of me. There are, you know, the new edition of this Content This is how Compass. I find new guests. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would ask, what's Joe Polizzi writing? What's Ginny writing? Uh, 
the new edition of the fourth edition of Content Chemistry comes out in a few months. Great. Um, yeah, who do who would I say would be at the top of the list for a new book? You know, I just applaud anyone who goes for that you know big content and that big step. But I can't say that any are coming to mind right now. Not a problem. They can just keep listening to the show and and find books that they recommend. Andy, how best can listeners learn more about you and your book? Orbitmedia.com uh, is where the blog is. Uh, you can find links to everything. Uh, we've got our own little podcast there. Uh, we've got links to Content Jam, the conference I mentioned, uh, or social media. Um, you know, you can find me on any social network, except Facebook. I'm not super active on Facebook, but uh, I mean, LinkedIn, I love LinkedIn and Twitter, of course. The the book you can find anywhere, Content Chemistry. Uh, don't spend $300 on it, but uh, uh, it is... Uh, and should be uh, the new edition should be on Amazon or just search for content chemistry and click on the page on Orbit Media. You can get it direct from the distributor. Okay, great. And you know, you're not the only thing. Uh, your your agency is not the only Orbit from Chicago. You know what I'm referring to? Uh, there's a salon. There's a bar. There's, uh, there's Orbit Gum. There's Orbit Gum, which is Wrigley Company, Wrigley. which is here. Yep, yes, Wrigley's here. There's uh the orbit and even orbit medias pop up here and there from time to time. Uh, it's uh, I have to admit that there's maybe some brand crossover, but when I buy gum, uh, I do get, <laughs> get orbit gum. Okay. Well, I will now. From now, I will. So uh, from now on, so the name of the book is Content Chemistry: An Illustrated Handbook for Content Marketing. The author is Andy Crestadina. Andy, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. It's been a huge pleasure. Thank you. And that closes the book on episode 85 of the Marketing Book Podcast. Now, if you'd like to win a copy of Content Chemistry, just go to marketingbookpodcast.com, click on the Contact Podcast button, and tell me which iTunes review of the Marketing Book Podcast is yours, and the first one to do so will win. And include your mailing address so we'll know where to send it. And while you're at marketingbookpodcast.com, make sure to sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. I love hearing from listeners like you. Modern marketing is moving pretty quickly. And if I can answer any questions or help point you in the right direction to get the information you need, please don't hesitate to ask. I'm here to help. Just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and leave me a message or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again is Douglas Burdett. And please join us next time as we talk with Josh Steinle about his new book, Chief Marketing Officers at Work. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.